Aloha, Kavika Miles here. First off, before we get started, I want to give a big old mahalo nui loa for taking time out of your life to listen to book one of my dystopian saga. Secondly, this free audiobook podcast is only made possible by those of you who buy some of my damn merch. It's easy. Just go over to damnitiloveamerica.com and pick yourself up an American tea, a dystopian tea, or hell, even get a copy of the book and read along with me. Regardless, I really do hope you enjoy Saga of the Nine Origins. Mahalo. Saga of the Nine Origins by Kavika Miles Read by the author Boston, March 19th, 2036. 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 1. The cadence. The rhythm repeats. 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 1. The game has changed. The arena evolved. Technique is improved, equipment modified, and fighters enhanced. From bare knuckles to canvas gloves to leather fists. All of which simply circles back to skin and bone. Boxing is a dead sport. It was dying in the 2000s, had a resurgence in the 2010s with McGregor v. Mayweather and the celebrity fights following, but turned downward exponentially shortly after as a permanently fused with the world of mixed martial arts. However, the original technique is here to stay. Without loading your hips, a hook is a slap no matter how dressed up, and when properly aligning the ulna with your grounded feet, it's not hard to crack a rib or split an eye. The only difference the antiquated sports has with the new and improved game is there are more ways to hurt the other guy or gal if they step in the ring. Instead of sheer blunt force trauma being the sole strategy, holds, locks, and chokes are thrown into the mix both upright and on the mat. That there is an equation for entertainment. All of this wouldn't be complete though without bureaucratic evolutions. Technique and equipment have improved in this arena as well. From the open market to the black, if the people want to fight, they'll get it, and not a single government entity or regulation can stop that, even with their for the good of the people bullshit. My ass. With the violent sport of football, the next to be regulated into oblivion, it's anyone's guess the true motives politicians will have for the people and the markets that surround them. One would think that the peoples elected would have learned from the prohibition. Taboo activities will only pique public interest, especially when the money moves from Washington oligarchs into the pockets of the everyday Joe and Jane. The only reason he fights is that it's the most powerful middle finger he or anyone has towards the bureaucracy. The rhythm cadence starts as a whisper before growing progressively louder as the speed of the rope increases. The slapping of the rope skipping and keeping time, his feet glide back and forth as every second adds to the agonizing sear within his thighs. With the sharp beep of the timer, in the final minute he looks to the mirror, willing himself through the fiery finale. He concentrates on his brown eye for the first 30 seconds, and then his blue eye for the final stretch, the bell echoing for him to stop. 
The time is done, but he is not as branded memories ignite something inside of this man. And not only is it exhilarating, but it's outright terrifying. As the rope continues to clap in rhythm, each gunshot in his mind, every cry for a medic, and all the final breaths he's seen cauterizes his soul until finally his body gives in, dampening the flame. Never can the fire be extinguished, though. Never will he let it. Michael Rouge, the American Devil. With two years inside the underground, he hopes there will be many more to come. His newfound therapy has turned into a passionate affair, one that no other woman has been able to compete against. Maybe that's why he and his ex had to just be friends. From study buddy to banging partner to nemesis, they ultimately agreed that the best route would be just to remain friends. Fighting has always been his way of coping with darkness. It's why he enlisted to bring some meaning to the less than savory upbringing his parents provided. All of it metastasized into post-traumatic stress, a now tainted term, and one he's actively avoided. That's always been his real problem. Micah never went through acceptance. Gag. And that's exactly what he told his ex. That and many other choice words each time she brought up his baggage. They were absolute poison for each other. He couldn't see it then, but Micah was bound by her sexy, sadistic nature that exacerbated the fundamental differences the two of them had. There was actually a profound sense of gratitude that came from her cheating on him. His eyes were open to his own fallacies while he could simultaneously ignore hers. In fact, he realized that she only comprehended minor facets of his life because not only did he wall her off, the two were so wrapped up in the carnal nature of the relationship and the appearances it yielded that they were unable to have a healthy conversation about anything productive in nature. But alas, not only was the relationship like terminal cancer, her roommate seemed to be a form of chemo, allowing him to purge his system of his ex once and for all. He's not proud of that bit, but the two of them have managed to stay on good terms once the intimate connection was surgically removed. Stepping into the locker room, the musky aroma of sweat and bleach fill his nose, and tossing his rope onto his back, Micah moves to turn on the shower, followed by his portable streaming radio. Now is not the time for him to veto the bill. It makes absolutely no sense for him to make such an arrogant decision. That tone. Man, does he love the resonance of her smooth, burning voice. Nothing better than an empty gym, followed by an empty locker room meant for him and her kindled rage. It's more than just serene. It's intoxicating the way she lights her victims on fire with the cerebral weapon she wields. You're telling me that you'd rather sign and pass something that not only would put us in another war, but put the military budget above 10%? That's who she's debating? This is what she's been stressing about? The guy sounds like a weasel rapist. His voice alone should put her at ease, because the only people who sound like that are stupid smart people and the people who have forceful intercourse with rodents. Although the former are dangerous for society and the latter extremely disgusting, people that fall within the spectrum shouldn't be anything for Kim to worry about. Yes, because none of what you said is true. Moving the embassy and signing a budget relief plan for our military have nothing in common. You're conflating the two separate arguments. Mikey can't wait for it. He knows exactly where this guy is going with his argument. He glanced at her notes once or twice and knows that the weasel rapist is in his final year at Harvard, naturally giving him the divine knowledge of everything. He is the prime example of the Dunning-Kruger effect, and as he sits on the peak of Mount Stupid, Kim's just licking her chops with a match in hand. The kindling has been set. She's just waiting to ignite and then push. I did a case study last semester. You did or you read? And that's why he fell in love with her. Cuts right through the bullshit. Does it matter? Yes, but let me stop you right there. This is why you're wrong. Our military is ranked 7th in the world behind China, Russia, and even France. The relief for the military budget is a bill that will give our military a much-needed boost in the R&D department, actually pulling us out of the wars we are currently in. By reallocating funds for those wars back to our energy independence, 
which is why we're back in the Middle East in the first place. And now that he's on fire, that's not, he begins. And, and when we do end up moving the embassy, it'll take us out of a region that's been a fallen state since 2013. We spend billions of tax dollars each year to uphold a third world government when we can't get our own shit together at home. There he goes down the mountainside. Point, set, match. Mike has nothing more to hear as he hops in the shower. At this point, it'll just be sad listening to the guy tumbling down in a heap of flames, trying to slow the fall, while simultaneously attempting to smother the embers of his glorious combustion. The only question now is will Kim be able to chillax, allowing for them to have a normal evening? Or will she notch off the kill only to set her sights on new prey? Maybe she'll finally notice all the work he's put in at the gym. There's no doubt Kim would appreciate his newly cut-for-weight physique if she only took the time to pull her head from the books and eyes off the screen. Turning off the shower, the meditative dripping of the water is immediately replaced by disrupting stressors that chemically disturb Micah's peace of mind. You can't possibly tell me you believe that, Kim blares out. Shit, he mumbles. In a handful of minutes, the weasel rapist not only slowed his tumble, but is at a complete stop and has managed to put the flames out before climbing back up the mountainside. Kim continues. You have to admit that there is at least some correlation to the missing individuals and the rumored children of the Orion Reich. With their involvement in the North American Union, there's too much evidence to deny. Kim is the one cut off this time, and Micah can see it now. Her cheeks bulging, glowing dark red while her luscious green eyes twirl into a deep black. Accidentally learning that early on was a blessing in disguise. Let her finish her train of thought. A conspiracy theory is all the Ordians are. Even if your premise is correct, the North American Union is a great thing for the world. The ability to unite continents began with the EU and is shown to be quite effective, the rapist says. Sidebar for a minute. It's not an exaggeration to call this guy a rapist. Yes, he probably isn't literally going out violating women and men left and right. Based on the sound of his voice, Mike is willing to bet he weighs a buck fifteen and couldn't even attempt such a feat. And in fact, if anyone's getting physically raped, it'd be this guy. That aside, he's taking advantage of language, cherry-picking data, and bastardizing ideals all in the name of social justice, or whatever the hell they want to brand it as these days. Ideas have consequences, and this weasel rapist is no different than the slew of people out there pushing the same copy-and-pasted agenda. They call themselves warriors of democracy, but don't realize they're simply cheap marketers that know how to utilize mob rule and propaganda. Holy hell, it's like he's talking to his ex all over again. What about the police report of the missing man downtown? Kim continues. One day, he's frantically calling for a police investigation on his neighbor for secretive gang activity, he was quoted as saying in the police report, and the next day, he's nowhere to be found. Quote, secretive gang activity does not suggest an Ordian Reich is trying to overthrow the U.S. government. That's called treason for crying out loud. Which, if found and convicted, is the death penalty. He's done it now. Kim, rule number two. Don't ever, under any circumstance, never, ever, ever quote or state the obvious, hoping that it will win the argument. Not only will it not shut her up, she'll blast you with fact after verified source so far up your butt that your nose will bleed and ooze truth. I know what it is, but just because something like treason is, quote, illegal, that doesn't mean people don't still do it. And to think that people cheat in card games but draw the line when it comes to political systems and power is not only naive, but fatal to the American way of life. Looks like a nice evening will not be happening anytime soon. Sighing, Micah turns off the stream and can't help but feel a little sorry for the rapist. Everyone will be reading it in tomorrow's news. Man boy murdered on live stream by sexy genius woman. Listing and counting as many romantic, cheesy, flowery gestures as he can muster to subdue Kim's fury, Micah finishes packing his things. 
Usually she's not one for the lovey-dovey crap, as she calls it. But at this point, he's willing to bet the odds that it won't matter. Perspective. That's how he'll have to sell it. They're in love. They both have amazing social circles, and their careers are on the rise. She has something with this Ordian Reich theory, and just because one guy doesn't believe her doesn't mean she's alone. There's sound evidence out there. She's just got to keep finding it and sharing. True journalism. Truth. No matter how ugly. Stepping onto the first floor of the library, Micah finds a table in a remote corner and waits for Kim to come out of the studio. It isn't long before he watches her gleefully bounding out of the elevator, not the Charlie Brown walk of shame he was expecting. Good mood, he asks, with a gentle kiss, wrapping his arms around her. One thing that has and continues to track Kim to Micah is that even though he is a stereotypical man, rough around the edges and a gym rat, he's got a compassionate side that's always putting her first. In more vulgar terms, He's a beast in the sheets and a gentleman on the streets. As they part from their kiss, she gazes into his bicolor eyes before leaning back in for a second taste of her man. What do you mean? She asks. And then, in a split second of mulling over his question, she puts the pieces together. Did you not listen? I did, Micah quickly states, realizing that he apparently turned off the interview too soon. You turned it off early, didn't you? That stern look of hers. It's the same rigid expression Micah receives every time he's not perfectly awesome at being her boyfriend. Yes, he slowly admits. Only because you seemed really upset, he then quickly interjects. Whatever. She lets go of him. It really irks her when he doesn't listen to her entire broadcast. And let's be honest, it wouldn't bother her so much if that was the only thing he doesn't finish. He doesn't finish meals all the way. He never finishes books. Falls asleep in movies and shows all the time. Projects around the apartment are always incomplete. And he never finishes their arguments. He just lets them float in the air, hoping they float away and disappear into the atmosphere. She knows it's an emanation of his commitment issues, and he knows it, which makes it even harder. Veteran or not, Micah needs to figure his shit out before she pops smoke and leaves. Your loss. You missed the best part, Kim simply states, letting out a vengeful smirk. I was still right, though, wasn't I? About what? That whole Ordian Reich thing? Yeah, he says, holding out his hand, asking for what she owes him. After that little charade, that lovey-dovey crap is out the window. He wants what she owes. Oh, come on. You know he was just being stubborn. There's too much evidence to deny the fact that someone organizes behind these kidnappings. Kim, he patiently says, continuing to smile. For the most part, it's frightening. But there are moments when her wrath is cute. Even if it's not some political group looking to assassinate the president, there's a mastermind. Kim? The systematic silencing of news sites, congressmen and women suddenly changing the long-held positions on practically every policy. Babe. What? She shouts, causing students and faculty to drop books and spill coffee from her residence. I never bet that I wouldn't believe you. I only bet that he wouldn't. And he can't help but smile when saying this, because it hardly ever happens. He might as well enjoy this glorious victory as he waits for her to finish his words, and awaiting his prize... Micah continues holding out his hand. The stubborn woman she is, Kim ignores the obvious gesture and simply grabs his hand, calming down and smiling the moment she does. Nope. Micah shakes his hand away from hers. That's not how this works. You gotta say it. Say it and pay it. You can never take me seriously, can you, Micah Rouge? She bellows out, causing a few shushes to spurt out from among the dedicated students and staff. Reaching into her bag, she rips out the bag of M&Ms, hurling them at him, but not surprised when his reflexes save his face from his getting pelted by the candy. You were right, she hisses out before turning a 180, nearly bowling over a poor freshman. Chasing after her, he apologizes to the young, confused victim caught in her crossfire before catching up and grabbing her hand.
I'm not joking about the audience. He's done it now. She was in a good mood, and he just screwed it all up. It's a loop he just can't seem to get out of. I never said you were, Kim. She tries to pull herself away, but he continues to grasp her hand, bringing her in closer. While people entering and exiting the library must inconveniently maneuver their way around the two as they have this moment right in front of the entryway, Micah gently pulls on her chin, bringing her gaze back up to his. I'm sorry I didn't finish your interview. Kissing him, she places her head on his chest. It's fine. I'm just mad you won the bet. I know it's hard sometimes being wrong, he says, smiling as he brushes his hands through her hair, knowing full well his words and the gesture will piss her off. Excuse me, a man says as she yanks herself away, backing into the guy entering the library. You, sir, are on thin ice, she states before pivoting yet again into the brisk walk away. Hustling alongside her, Micah finds himself letting a long, awkward silence ferment, figuring he's out of cue cards to play. But amidst it, Kim grabs Micah's hand and gently squeezes it. In a moment just long enough for her fury to subside, he asks, You coming tonight? To what? Your fight? Micah nods as they continue to walk down the campus. Are you going to get hurt? She sarcastically asks. All jokes aside, she really does hate going. Every fight she worries. She's seen him break his nose, fracture his shin bone, and get a concussion. That was all before they were seriously dating, when there was cute infatuation and lust. He's definitely gotten better, but those memories still linger in the back of her mind. She won't outright complain about his fighting, though, because the training keeps him fit. She knows he thinks she hasn't noticed, but he's gotten a lot yummier. Muscles are firmer and sharper than ever before. That being said, the two have moved from lust to love. Unlike any ex she's known about, Kim's the only one that understands how fighting is his therapy. She'll never fully understand, but Micah needs someone who is patient as he works through these things. With a major distrust of experts, professional therapy is out of the question, and on the days he misses the gym, she notices. He may not, but she does, so she lets him fight. Well, are you? He asks again, ignoring her sarcasm. Are you going to get a bloody nose? Will you need me to be there to kiss your boo-boos better? She creates a pouty face and puckers her lips. And you say that I can't take anything seriously. All the hours spent training and sacrificing have come to this. The chump in front of Micah has no idea what he's gotten himself into. He's the one who challenged the American devil. And Micah, being the generous guy that he is, granted the request. Looking over to the front row, Micah finds Kim where he gives her a wink before she sends one back his way. She does a good job at hiding it but her anxiety, as subtle as it is, is still there. She masks it with her unenthusiasm and its cynical humor, but Micah sees the angst in her hands. The twisting and wringing of an imaginary towel is all he needs to see in order to know that she's in a state of discomfort. Today, rather than putting on a show for the crowd, Micah decides to finish it as quickly as possible. Kim's been through enough today. The least he can do is put her jitters at ease. Then again, the audience has been dual to say the least, which is never good for his marketability. It may be a finer line to walk tonight than he'd like. The creaking gate of the ring opens, in walking the announcer and the referee to take their place in the middle of the arena. Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time in the IFA, we had a public challenge! The crowd perks a little from their comas upon hearing the announcement that they are witnessing fighting history. Last week, Johnny Smash challenged the American Devil's title. The crowd's enthusiasm continues to grow as the referee motions the two fighters to the center. Smash? That's the stupidest name Mike has ever heard. The referee looks to Johnny Johnson. Does the challenge still stand? 
vigorously, Johnny Smash Johnson nods his head, his mop-like hair flailing as he does. I need a verbal response, the referee states. Yes, damn it! That picks the crowd up even further. Everyone loves good tension in a fight. Turning to Micah, the ref then asks, Do you accept the challenge? Rejecting the challenge forfeits the fight in your belt. I accept, Micah says, nodding his head. Then let there be a clean fight. Fighters, touch fists, and at the sound of the bell, start the show. Micah reaches out his fist towards the opponent, but the man stays resolute, set on defeating the arrogant champion. I'm going to smash you up, Johnny says to Micah. Micah's not one for trash talking, but due to the rude nature of the fellow in front of him, he can't help himself. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. You practice that in the mirror? Micah no longer needs to ponder it as he decides the best course of action is to build the guy up a little before taking him down. Sorry, Kim, but guys like this need some humble pie. The bell sounds and Micah sees the cheap shot coming a mile away. Blocking the knee to his groin, he lets Johnny hit him with the wild right hook to his face. Micah quickly recovers, slipping a grapple before jabbing and testing the waters of his opponent. Smash quickly and arrogantly grabs the back of Micah's head, bringing Micah's face to his knee. In a swift rush, Smash then rips Micah's feet from off the mat, throwing him up in the air before Micah's face comes smacking down on the canvas. That was dumb, Micah mumbles into the floor. Finish him! Crush his skull! Someone from the crowd yells. That, combined with the takedown, does anything but ease Kim's cool angst as she grips the invisible towel even harder. Micah pushes himself up from off the canvas, narrowly dodging a stomping foot and an uppercut. Kicking Smash square in the thigh, it doesn't look or sound like much, but Micah notes the cringe on the opponent's face. Micah could feel it on impact, his heel striking the tender area of his inner thigh. Limping it off, Smash attempts a third volley of strikes. Not letting him get a hit in this time, Micah jumps, bringing his left knee to Johnny's jaw. A risky but show-off move that instantly dazes Smash, who staggers, unable to focus on anything. Lifting his arms in the air, Micah looks to the crowd as he starts a countdown. The once bored crowd, now hysterical and on their feet, watches as Johnny Smash Johnson continues to wobble. And once the countdown reaches one, Micah closes his fist, knocking his opponent out cold with an uppercut from the devil himself. Finally! Kim drops her invisible towel, grabs her purse, and heads to Micah's locker room as Micah tries to blow her a victorious kiss. Damn, he should have just gone for the quick knockout. Not even taking the referee's hand as he announces the winner, Micah ignores the formal accolade and crowd approval as he hops the side of the cage and makes his way to Kim. Cautiously, Micah steps into the quiet locker room where the crowd is muffled by the closing door. Here, Quim quickly states, throwing a real towel at him. When? She then asks. They've had this discussion a thousand times, and Micah just can't seem to avoid it. Everything in him wishes he could just tell her. Next week is what he wants to say. But there's so much more to her simple, one-worded question. Another fight finished, another workout complete, and she still feels like she's taking the silver medal on the podium of Micah's life. It tears him up, but he has to say it. I don't know. It'll be a year next Friday. I know. But what more can he say? Why are you bringing this up now, Kim? It sounds insincere. He knows full well why now. Every fight, it's brought up. But his joke won't have anything behind it if he doesn't ask. And Kim desperately needs a joke. Are you serious? You bought me a ring, didn't you? He asks, slapping his hands to his cheeks. There it is. Let's see if the joke holds its ground now. It does. He sees a smirk rise to the surface as Kim's entire demeanor relaxes. Wiping the sweat from his brow and dabbing the blood off his lip, he puts a shirt on and approaches his girlfriend. 
Kimberly. Why not now? She mumbles, burying her face in his musky chest. Why can't we just move on? Because, Micah begins, setting the stage for another joke. I have a headache, I'm hungry, I'm sore, and I just want to have victory sex with my girlfriend. And then maybe cuddle and watch a movie. Fine, she continues to mumble into his chest. She doesn't laugh and guffaw, but the quip landed. I love you, Micah Rouge. I love you too, Kim. Now let's go get freaky. This time she does laugh and guffaw as she pushes him away. The couple holds hands as they exit out the back and continue down the steps before Micah brings up a more serious topic. You gonna write down my win in your diary or whatever? It's a journal, first of all, and you should write in one. Posterity and shit. And second, no, you think you're the center of my universe? But you're not. She says this with such comical attitude that he can't help but kiss her. The two embrace and continue their walk home. As they round a corner, they're stopped dead in their tracks as three hooded figures stand ten feet away. Who are they? Kim whispers, Micah shrugging his shoulders in response. You have said too much, one of the hooded figures says. Who are you? Kim demands. Micah loves that she isn't afraid to speak her mind, but sometimes he wishes that she had a usable filter. Either join us in our cause or keep your mouth shut, the figure states. Hey, don't you? Micah cuts her off. Listen, we don't want any trouble. Whether that's true or not, your girlfriend found trouble, Micah. Micah hesitates for a moment in shock. How the hell do you know my name? You have a week from today to decide, Kim. We will be waiting, and we will be watching. And without anything more, the three hooded figures turn and walk away, and until they are out of sight, Micah and Kim stand and scan their surroundings. That was freaky, Kim says, squeezing Micah's arm. Yeah, you should write that in your diary, too. Kim doesn't need to say anything. She just punches Micah in the arm. The Pentagon. In a finely pressed suit and a briefcase in hand, he makes his way down a hallway of one of the finest and most secretive buildings in Washington. It's not the first time, and if all goes as planned, it most certainly won't be his last. As he turns a corner, his footsteps continue their resonating echo down the desolate corridor. After recent events, it's rare for no one to be rushing through the rows of offices, trying to subdue the madness but unconventional and unprecedented times come within such an atmosphere. Rounding one last turn, his steps are suppressed as the tile merges to carpet, and now in a remote wing of the building, he approaches a door before knocking four times. With no response, the man looks at his watch and sits down in a chair within arm's reach of the door. Placing his briefcase on his lap, carefully and methodically, he beats a nervous rhythm with his thumbs as he begins a quick rehearsal in his head. Everything is concealed safely on his lap, but once he opens his mouth, it will be fair game. The program will either succeed or fail in a matter of minutes. Before he can delve too deeply into the various ramifications, however, the door opens and a red-haired woman steps out. Mr. Carter, she says, the council will see you now. Swiftly he stands, grabbing his briefcase before walking into the dark room. It takes a moment for Carter's eyes to adjust, but as they do, he sees a solitary desk in front of him with a padded office chair at its side. Determined, he approaches without any apparent fear, and as he sits, he takes notice of the nine decorated men and women of the board. A long silence fills the room as both Carter and the council stare each other down. Like most military types, they keep quiet until the proper moment. Figuring that they're waiting on him, Carter inhales as he opens his mouth, but upon doing so, he is immediately interrupted. Mr. Carter, your proposal? Nodding, Carter takes a moment to gather his thoughts. 
Council, if I may, before I begin, I'd like to explain how this program hopes to. Mr. Carter, your proposal is all we ask for. The council president states, not being one to set his opinions aside so easily, Mr. Carter argues. But certainly, there are some doubts and concerns with the reformation of White Eagle, and I wish to. Again, he is interrupted, this time with more authority. The proposal. Frustrated, Mr. Carter reluctantly shuts his mouth and opens his briefcase to pull out a single file labeled the Minutemen Division. This country is on the brink of a second civil war, not due to slavery, but the lust of a greater power and tyrannical control. And after the recent national divorce, this all is cause for great concern. Organized crime has risen to new heights caused by the efforts of the children of the Ordian Reich. Congress, as well as the president, believe it to be a conspiracy theory, along with many other Americans, which is only exacerbated by the media. But you and I both know from sad experience that this popular opinion is wrong. He opens the anemic-looking file to reveal the information of a single American citizen. Few are capable and willing to fight, but a few ready citizens are all we need, he continues. Those few who know our pains, know our desires, and know our enemies will step up if we but ask them to. In order to get our president and our country to believe the realities of these domestic threats, we must expose this enemy. However, with the progress of organized crime is made, White Eagle is no longer enough, and I come to you with this reformation to address the real and imminent threats on American soil. This program, the Minutemen Division, was created to accomplish just that. Short and direct, just like he practiced. However, there's a void of silence before the military board discusses what's been presented. And even then, Mr. Carter's stomach is tied in knots as he listens to the whispered critiques, none of which sound promising. After they quiet down, the president of the board asks a solitary question. What do you propose we do next then? Pulling out a citizen's file, Carter responds by slapping down a photograph. Kimberly Blackham, independent reporter and journalist.